Hello again and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist at Lamb and Lion Ministries. And I'm Nathan Jones, the Internet Evangelist here at Lamb and Lion. For the past 10 weeks, we've been in the Torah, also known as the Pentateuch. Those foundational books were authored by Moses as he recorded revelations given by God Himself. Today we will turn to the book of Joshua. As one of the twelve spies sent to reconnoiter the land of Canaan, Joshua, along with Caleb, had been eager to trust in the Lord and seize the Promised Land. When the other spies discouraged the people, filling them with tales of giants and challenges, the Lord sentenced the nation to wander in the wilderness for forty years, long enough for that faithless generation to pass away. Only Joshua and Caleb were allowed to live long enough to enter the Promised Land. Joshua had the distinct honor of following in the footsteps of Moses as the designated leader of the Hebrew nation. But that honor represented an incredible challenge. As someone who is following in the footsteps of another giant of the faith, I understand personally what Joshua must have thought as he prepared to lead his people into the land of promise. We'll touch on that again in just a moment. For those tracking the timeline of Old Testament history, we'd place the book of Joshua about 3400 years ago, say 1400 BC. It relates events from the crossing of the Jordan River to the conquest of most of the Holy Land. You know, I thought long and hard about who would be a fitting guest for this episode of Christ in Prophecy. I'm delighted that we found a man who reminds me of Joshua, physically and spiritually. Amir Sarfati was born in Jerusalem and served in key positions in the Israeli Defense Force. He is a passionate follower of Yeshua and a powerful voice calling Jews and Gentiles alike to recognize the signs of the times pointing to the Messiah's soon return. He also is the founder and president of Behold Israel. Amir, I'm so glad you could join us today from Israel. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All the way from Galilee to uh, Texas, what a great thing to uh, use technology. Yes, sir. When it works properly, we are grateful. Amir, I was fascinated to find out that you were a deputy governor of Jericho. And since we're talking about Joshua, it just seems very fitting that that uh, we're talking about a city that was supposedly destroyed, but you got to be a governor of. How could you be a governor of a city that was destroyed thousands of years ago? Well, you know what? The only problem is that Joshua liberated it uh, and took over. I actually handed it over to the Palestinians. So it's a big difference. I wish I didn't have to do that. Um, but we all know that biblically, you know, uh, it's something that has to happen. But nevertheless, it's, it was a privilege to be there in Jericho and, and, and serve my military service right next to all of those ancient antiquities. They're still standing there and they're, as a testimony to the way the city was conquered, the way the walls came tumbling down, and uh, not only the Old Testament, but even the New Testament Jericho, where Herod the Great had his palace, where the sycamore tree is still standing there. And uh, it, this is a beautiful, beautiful place. Well, Amir, obviously, I wanted you to come on this episode of Christ in Prophecy, as I said, because you remind me of Joshua, not just with the connection to Jericho, but because you are another young man of strength and conviction. And yet, we also know that Joshua followed in the footsteps of a great leader, and so the Lord had to encourage him. He actually commanded Joshua not once but three times to be encouraged and to be bucked up for the challenge lying ahead of him. What did the Lord say to Joshua? Well, the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And uh, of course, this is something that we all need to remember. 
uh, it's not, I guess it's not a natural inclination of us. We need to get that from the Lord and we need to obey the Lord and with him commanding us to be so and with the power that he gives us, it's possible. You know, what's fascinating, Amir, is not only did Joshua stand strong in the Lord, but he showed his leadership ability by getting the people to stand strong in the Lord. To think that 40 years earlier, they'd all chickened out and they wouldn't go in. But Joshua got the people to stand behind him and be strong and trust the Lord. Would you say then that that's why Moses picked Joshua to be his successor, is because he exhibited fearlessness and trust in the Lord? Absolutely. I believe so. And Exodus 34, 9 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So Moses obviously uh, passed the baton, but with that came the wisdom that he needed to be able to lead the nation. And, and it's not just leading a nation through the desert. This is now the challenge to enter into the promised land and to withstand so many schemes of the enemy on one hand and disobedience of the nation on the other. Well, it's interesting to me that Joshua learned from his own experience, and so he, he made a choice in how he would handle even sending spies. Of course, we're calling this episode of Christ in Prophecy the choice, and before even entering Canaan, Joshua sent two spies. Perhaps he'd learned the lesson of sending 12 and, and 10 of them coming back and being faithless or fearful. So he sent two spies, and when they went into Jericho, they encountered a harlot named Rahab, who protected them, a lady who was living in Jericho itself. And she testified with this words, these words. She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And she went on to say, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with me and my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. So really, Rahab also made a choice. Yes, Rahab made a choice. It's a choice that we need to make and remember, uh, that was also a token of her faith. And this is why Rahab is on our linea uh, the, the lineage of, of Christ. And we, the Bible says in, in, in James 2, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You, you can clearly see that uh, she, there was a promise you can see that there was a choice and you can see that she acted upon that choice. That there was a choice she made and she acted upon it. That was an act of faith and that was considered as righteousness for her. And this is quite incredible considering the fact that he, she's not Jewish and considering the fact that her profession is a little questionable. <laughs> yes. Well, on the other side of the coin, we've got another story from the fall of Jericho and that's the, the story of Achan, right? Uh, what happened in AI to show the faithlessness side of that story? Well, we all know that uh, the story of, uh, uh, first of all, the, the children of Israel lost the battle in AI. Uh, 36, to, to best of my knowledge, where people were killed. And, and, and the Lord answered Joshua's prayer by saying, look, there is a reason for that. And the reason is that there is sin in the camp. Somebody did something that I told you not to do. And of course, we all know the, the, the story of Achan. We call it Achan in, in Hebrew. The story of Achan is a story of not only disobedience, but it's a story of th that, that can show you that how sin affects the whole camp. 
and how there is responsibility for us. Uh, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and, and see how sin affects many more than just the person that commits it. And so Achan in Hebrew kept uh, this Babylonian garment. He kept some shekels of silver and all of that. And we know that he ended up paying for it, him and his household. Uh, and all of his belongings. And that was a very, very tragic story, but I believe it was a necessary one for the children of Israel to be able to get their act together, obey the Lord, and move forward with God's promise to them with the promised land. Well, not just Achan or Achan in that episode, but there are other people throughout the book of Joshua who make choices. So we, we can think about the Gibeonites, the people living in Gibeon who made a choice to seek gain by deception. So they tried to fool the children of Israel. Oh, we're from far, far away. You know, make a covenant with us and don't destroy us. And they could have followed the pattern of Rahab and treated God's chosen people with kindness and they would have been, again, blessed for their choice of, of honesty and of kindness and of faithfulness, but instead they tricked the Israelites. And the Lord then uh, obviously required that the Israelites honor their word. In other words, instead of seeking the counsel of the Lord, the Hebrews uh, of Israel, the, the children of Israel took that the deception of the Gibeonites at face value. And when Joshua discovered their deceit, he condemned them to actually serve as hewers of wood and drawers of water. In other words, in a subservient role. And so they did not have the same blessing that Rahab had for her choice of faith. Absolutely. And, and we see now the consequences of making the wrong choices. And of course, uh, the, the fact that you're a Jew or non-Jew doesn't matter. There is a choice to make and there is consequences thereof. And we can clearly see that. But also we see that the children of Israel had to suffer or collectively uh, the consequences of their choice to not seek the Lord, but uh, actually believe the, the deception uh, that the Gibeonites uh, sold them. But eventually, of course, we all know the land was taken shortly after that. We know this, that, that amazing pass from Jericho all the way up to the mountains. And then, of course, the, the war against the, the other kings, the um, Gibeon uh, and Ayalon uh, Valley, how the, the, the sun and the moons that stood still. And that was basically the breakthrough in the takeover of the promised land. But it didn't start well at all. It started with wrong choices and the suffering of the, conference, the consequences thereof. It's interesting how that Joshua and the armies spread out and they started defeating different lands. Uh, they were taking the land of promise. And they started to get rest more places as they went out. And uh, one of the most tragic verses in the Bible, we, we learn that the Israelites grew weary in obeying all that God had commanded. They grew weary of it. And you get to Joshua 16, 10, but they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day. We also hear the same thing about Manasseh and how Manasseh did that same thing. They continue to be interspersed with the pagans. How would that end up affecting Israel by not fully obeying God throughout the rest of their history as they were mixed with pagan groups? Well, we can actually read that from Judges chapter 2, 
the first five verses, we can clearly see how then the angel of the Lord came upon, uh, up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall uh, be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bochim, which means uh, crying or crying out, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And then, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each uh, to his own inheritance to possess the land. When there is, when there is atonement, there is atonement when when you're actually uh, uh, repenting. The repentance bears much fruit, as you can see. When they cried, when they repented, when they realized the wrongdoing, look what happened. They went each to his own inheritance. What to possess the land. Here, here, amen. Well, we focused on the historic account of Israel's conquest of the promised land under Joshua's leadership to this point. But today, the, the entire world seems to deny the right of Israel to possess the very land in which you are living right now. And so they deny the land promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to his, their descendants forever. How does that unbiblical attitude represent a choice of the world that actually threatens the peace and security of Israel today. Well, we, we can all see that, and I believe that it goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. I, I believe that Satan is always on the move to try to see what will or wh where and how can that seed of the woman is going to obviously crush his head or, or destroy him. And so Israel was obviously the nation. He realized if I get rid of them, I will get rid of him. And for, of course, we know that even Jesus said, Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch b'shem Adonai. Uh, he didn't say you're going to say uh, anything in Arabic to welcome Allah or anything in, in any other language to welcome anything else, but it's Jewish people who welcome their Messiah. And so for that, they have to come back to their land. They have to get back to their capital and they have to repossess their land as the prophet uh, promised. And we all know that um, what happened over the last 80 uh, some years stunned everyone all around us, whether they're believers or not. It's just that people are, are they have a hard time understanding that God is still in the business of fighting for Israel, helping Israel, uh, bringing them uh, to the point of not just survival, but to the point of thriving in the middle of, of, of a very, very a dangerous and 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 uh, I guess uh, war um, war surrounded uh, uh, area, and I, I, I it's to me the um, resistance to what God is doing with Israel and through Israel today is basically the work of the enemy trying to stop Messiah from returning to Israel to his people. For them to uh, accept him and receive him as their Messiah, and for the a thousand years millennial kingdom to thus 
begin. So, you know, everything is tied together here. Um, I believe that if we know Bible prophecy, no person that is going to try um, to stop Israel from repossessing the land will succeed. There will be more wars, there will be more agony and pain, but eventually Israel will be back in the land, Jesus will come back to reign, and uh, once again Jerusalem will be in the land of Israel, and the people will be the head of all the nations. Oh, amen. 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 That's a, excellent to hear. Big picture. Uh, let's go from Joshua's time where the biggest thing they had to deal with was giants to today's, I think you guys are facing quite a lot of giants. We read in the news, the giants of Iran, the, the giants of Hezbollah. What do you think is the greatest threat to Israel's sovereignty right now? Would you say a nuclear Iran or the BDS movement or the UN sanctions? What would you say? Well, it's a combination. So what we see right now is, is basically... Uh, on one hand, the allied of Israel, the superpower of the world, America, is slowly, slowly uh, releasing its grip on the Middle East and by doing so, leaving Israel basically all exposed. On the other hand, you can clearly see that um, uh, all the bandits are, are emboldened to come out and to uh, do what they want to do. Um, under the 45th president, they wouldn't do what they're doing right now. We all know why. And, and so what my point is, we, we can see convergence of so many things from, from, from the you know, identity of the person in the Oval Office all the way to what is going on in Iran. But remember, 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 Iran is not standing by itself. What the Bible talks about a coalition of countries that will come against Israel, it speaks of Iran as a one of several. We also must remember that there is a promise for Damascus to be destroyed and that prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. And so I would keep my eyes on Syria. Whatever goes on in Syria will affect eventually, I believe the coalition led by Russia with Turkey, Sudan, Libya, and Iran, and it will eventually turn into that war that Israel by itself will not be able to win. It will be only by the, the intervention of God in a very amazing and supernatural way. It certainly will. You know, to look at Joshua again, there are two examples I, I call on. One is the man Caleb, who was the other spy who was willing to be faithful when Moses first sent 12 spies. As a matter of fact, even as an old man, even as he was uh, at an age when he could have been uh, resting on his laurels, he said, give me the high country. He still was eager to go forward and be faithful to what the Lord had called the whole nation to. That's why I named my son Caleb. But, but Joshua also demonstrates his faithfulness throughout his life. So his inspiring speech at the end of his life of leadership, challenging the people of Israel to choose whom they would serve. As he said, whether the gods which their fathers served beyond the river, in other words, back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites, that being the people who lived there in Canaan, Joshua demonstrated his great faithfulness when he declared, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yes, this is the same choice that is still before us all, I believe. We will follow uh, will we follow false gods or will we serve the true and living God, the Lord himself? And, and I believe that that choice is always before us. Look, I, I remember uh, in John chapter 6 when, when Jesus said some words that were too tough for the disciples to hear. A lot of them left him. And, uh, and then, of course, he turned to Peter and says, so, so you guys, any of you wants to leave as well? And Peter said, 
who will we go to? Who will we turn to? You have the words of eternal life. And so it's, it's not just a choice of the nation of Israel or the nations of the world. It's even the choice of the disciples of Jesus themselves. When hardships will come and when it will have to be a choice, Jesus only or Jesus plus. Jesus said, it's me. It's only me. It's through me. And, and so, you know, all the progressive liberal agenda of adding to Jesus other things or maybe replacing Jesus with other things, all of them will have to basically uh, become a huge choice for even the average Christian right now. Will you follow that or will you stick with the Lord? And we all need to say, where can we go? Who can we go but Jesus? Because with him are the words of eternal life. Amen. I love your teachings. As a matter of fact, every time I pull up YouTube, your videos are always up there. So I see your face like every day. <laughs> and one of the great benefits of your teaching is you, because I'm an American, I only speak English, but you show the Hebrew meaning to things. So we use the J for Joshua, and I know Jay is, actually was only invented like in the 1500s. How do the Hebrews pronounce Joshua? And does Joshua point to somebody else? Is he a type of something? Correct. Well, Joshua in Hebrew is Yehoshua. Yehoshua means the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is, sal is my salvation. Yeho, it's from Yahweh. Uh, Yeshua means salvation. And that, of course, is pointing at the one that will be called Yeshua, who is our salvation. You know, it's the only language in the world where the name of Jesus makes sense is Hebrew. Um, not that I'm saying you have to call him in his Hebrew name, because I believe he understands every name that um, we have in different languages, as long as it's the attempt to call him and not mock him. But I will say that when the angel told her, you shall name him Yeshua, for he will save his people. Only in Hebrew, the name and salvation are uh, uh, together, are the same. Yeshua is salvation. Yeshua is his name. And so that's why when you read the New Testament in Hebrew, you don't have to wonder about that because it's, it's very simple. It's just the same word. Amir, I appreciate you spending time with us today. We already spoke about the meaning of different names and how Joshua points to Yeshua who comes uh, in the fullness of time and is coming again. And Joshua is one of my biblical heroes. But your own name, Amir, as I have understood it, actually means crown or chief or head in Hebrew. So as we await our soon returning king, I'll pray that he continues to bless you and your ministry as you point to, again, our, our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Thank you very much. God bless you all. And uh, it was a pleasure to be with you today. We hope to do it again sometime soon. Godspeed. Joshua was strong and courageous just when Israel needed a mighty leader. In 1938, Americans were introduced to Clark Kent, a character who appeared human yet possessed strength and courage far beyond other men. He was faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and could jump tall buildings in a single bound. Superman left off the pages of the comic books into the cultural psyche. He came along just as America was turning the corner on the Great Depression and just before the crisis of World War II. 
And as the United States was poised to become a global superpower, Superman embodied characteristics that made America great. The writers who crafted this fictional character summed up his heroic attributes. Superman stood for truth, justice, and the American way. Those ideals were presumed to be universally understood in the middle of the 20th century. And yet as the 20th century rolled over into the 21st, more and more people began to doubt the validity of truth and justice in America, with some dismissing the concepts altogether. And today, I challenge any group of random people to agree on what the American way even means. Certainly, our elected leaders cannot seem to enunciate what it should mean. But in recent weeks, the character of Superman has taken a dramatic turn. Eager to embrace the woke sensibilities of our modern age, the writers who mold and shape the Superman persona have decided that he needs to come out as bisexual. To be clear, the fictional character we're talking about is the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Maturing beyond his adolescence as Superboy, this now-grown superhero is being presented as non-heterosexual. He now has a male boyfriend, and their romantic encounters will be highlighted as part of the narrative going forward. With his ability to fly, protect the innocent from evildoers, and even hear the enunciated concerns of the entire world, the original Superman represented a secularized messiah. Sent by his father to dwell among us, Superman's life exemplified a fictional shadow of Christ. Until now. The son of Superman may still leap tall buildings and outrun speeding locomotives, but he now represents a false messiah who is leading our culture down a path toward the wrath of God. In a clearly messianic passage, Psalm 2.12 advises, Do homage to the Son, that He not become angry, and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. The road our culture is traveling is wide, and many are gleefully hurling toward a horrific fate. And the American way now celebrates immorality and deviancy, and condemns any who stand on the Word of God. But soon, the real Superman, the God-man Jesus Christ, will come for His bride, after that, He will return to reign, dwelling with us and flooding the earth with truth and justice. And that is not merely a comic book sentiment, that is a promise of God. Wow, Tim, that was really insightful, framing Superman as a secularized messiah. You know, I had never thought of him that way until I began researching the character based on his recent coming out and all the uproar that caused. Oh yeah, and you're right about Joshua only. Not only does his name foreshadow the coming messiah, he also served as people with strength and courage. I think that the lesson of Joshua is summed up in our key verse today, Joshua 24, 15. Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Neil Peart, perhaps the greatest rock and roll drummer who ever lived, said, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Our challenge to our viewers is to choose today whom you will serve. And to quote the movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Choose wisely. Exactly. The choice you make regarding Jesus Christ has eternal ramifications. There is no other way to the Father and into heaven than through faith in Christ. Amir Safadi exemplified the blessing of a man who has chosen to dedicate his life to serving and proclaiming Yeshua, the salvation of God. We pray that you've made a wise choice. Until next week, this is Tim Moore and Nathan Jones saying, Look up, be watchful for the Lord who gives us strength and courage is drawing near. Maranatha.